Let's pray. Father God, thanks for the joy of being here together. Thanks for the joy of hearing from our brothers and sisters who've shared from their lives, the the way that you are at work in them. We rejoice and praise you for the three who are studying to serve you with their whole lives at Bible College at the moment. We pray that you'll teach them and train them well and use them for your glory. And thank you for those who write such helpful resources for us so that we can love the world around us and the people who are struggling as the world moves so quickly. Uh, And Father, thank you for those who've served us in the Bible reading and praying and uh, through song. Father, thank you for the joy of being here together. We pray now again as we come to open your word. Father, please teach us. Please grow us as followers of Jesus. Please help us to understand what you are saying in your word so that we might serve you rightly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, earlier this morning, we covered both the universal call of God and the special, personal, effectual call of God. And with those two types of calls under our belt, we have literally covered more than 99% of what the Bible talks about as God's calling. Biblically, there is less than 1% left to cover. So now we move to the one percenter. What what I'm going to call the situational call of God. So we're at point one, the situational call of God. And as far as I can see, this situational call of God is spoken about in one passage. In the whole Bible. Could you please turn in your Bible to the passage that was just read for us, 1 Corinthians 7. Our little passage in the middle of 1 Corinthians 7, it comes to us in the middle of the chapter. Um, And it's a chapter that is all about different life situations. Situations like being betrothed or what we might call engaged to be married. Situations like being single or being married. Situations like being a believer in Jesus and finding your spouse no longer wants to believe in Jesus. Situations like being widowed or having your spouse walk away from your marriage. And this passage does indeed say that God has called you to your situation. Have a look at verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Now, in our English versions of the Bible, it looks like this verse is the clearest reference to your life situation being a calling from God. But verse 20 is even more clear in the original Greek in which the Apostle Paul wrote. Have a look at verse 20 for a moment. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. In the original Greek, it literally says each one should remain in the calling in which they were called. As far as I can see, this is the only passage in the whole New Testament that uses calling language to describe a normal Christian's general life situation. 
The logic behind this usage is that if God is sovereign over everything that happens in his world, then even your life situation is part of his sovereign directing. But what do you think the Apostle Paul will say about this situational calling? What would you expect him to say? Will he exhort us to spend lots of time searching out the unique personal life situation that that God has called us to? Will he challenge us that we need to find the particular life situation that God has tailor-made for each one of us? Let's have a look at what he does. Now, within this passage, there are two of our different types of calling on view. So let's just have a, a, a look at them briefly so that we know that there's two callings here going on. The first, um, a good example is verse 18. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? We can stop it there. Because you can see this, this call here, that is the effectual personal call of the gospel that brings you to salvation. It's very clear. Were you circumcised when God saved you? Could be another way of saying it. And um, uh, let's step forward then to verse 20 where the second type of call is. Let's, uh, verse 20 again the situation call, each person should remain in the calling they were in when God called them. It's that first calling that's speaking about your life situation as a calling from God. So we've actually got both of them in, um, in verse 20 as well, haven't we? See the difference? We've got the effectual call of the gospel, when you were called, when God called him, and then we've got our life situation, the calling that God has Uh, the situation that God has called you into. Now, with that clear, we can go back to the start of the passage and we can work it through. Have a look again at verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Paul is basically saying, it's pretty clear, isn't it? He's basically saying that each Christian should continue to live in the life situation in which God has placed them and where they were when God saved them. Now, when you think life situation, you might think job or maybe suburb or maybe marital status. But look at where the Apostle Paul goes first. Isn't this interesting? Verse 18, was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Isn't it interesting when the Apostle Paul speaks about a Christian's life situation that the first situation that he reaches for is not whether they're an engineer or a lawyer. And it's not whether they live in Jerusalem Heights or Bethlehem Fields. The life situation Paul immediately speaks about is circumcision or uncircumcision. These are personal religious markings. Is it possible that there is more to your life situation than just the job you do and the suburb that you live in? Who'd have thunk it? Why I find this even more interesting is because I've heard a lot of Christians say that they feel God is calling them to particular jobs or to live in particular places, but I have never, ever heard a Christian wondering whether God has called them to be circumcised or not. (laughs) 
Isn't that interesting? This very helpful example tells us some important things about situational calling. First, your situation, your situational calling goes a lot deeper than just your job or your suburb. God calls you to situational things which are far deeper and yet much more mundane. Things like whether you have the markings of a previous religion put upon your body by your parents before you even thought about searching for your calling. And then Paul says, your situation when you were called, he says it doesn't really matter very much. Even with its previous religious significance, circumcision, uncircumcision, makes no difference when you've been called to belong to Jesus. Your situational calling does not really matter. But something does really matter. We're at point two, a priority order. And have a look at verse 19. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Here we have a very clear priority order. Paul is saying, get your attention off your situational calling that doesn't matter and get your attention on the thing that does matter and that is seeking to obey God. It's very clear. But even more than that, because your situational calling doesn't really matter, then you don't need to spend all of your time and energy trying to change it. Look at verse 20. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now remember, this, as far as I can see, is the one and only key passage that uses calling language to talk about your life situation. And what does the Apostle Paul say about your life situation calling? He basically says, at ease, soldier. Stay right where you are. You don't need to find your true situational calling because you are already in it. God has called you to your situation. You are exactly in it at any particular point of your life. God has called you to that exact situation. In fact, if you want to know the situation that God has called you to, just look around. Look at your life now. That is the situation that God has called you to. And this means that situational calling is another unmissable call, right? You can't miss this one. It is unmissable not because it's always effectual, like the special call of the gospel. It is unmissable because you're always in it at every point of your life. So I could legitimately say that God has situationally called me to live in Kensington near UNSW. Under God's sovereign hand, that is a truth that I can be absolutely sure about. Because in God's sovereignty, I presently live in Kensington near UNSW. And God has sovereignly led your life to where you are at right now. So you, if you wanted to, could describe your current situation as your calling from God. But you can only really do this in the present and the past. You cannot predict the situational calling of God in the future. 
James reminds us of that, doesn't he? Have a look at the screen. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. God knows your situational calling of the future. God's got it all in control. He knows it. But you can only know it when you come into it. So I can legitimately say, and so hang on, I'm going to do the negative. I cannot legitimately say that God is calling me to live in Chatswood. I can't legitimately say that. And it would make it even worse if I said, I feel like God is calling me to live in Chatswood. Do you know in the Bible, no one is ever feeling a call from God. That is unbiblical nonsense. Calls from God are not felt. But hang on, does Paul change his mind in verse 21? Is he suddenly changing his tune? Let's have a look, verse 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Hang on, he's saying you can change your situation. Didn't he just say, stay in your situation? Now he's saying, you can change your situation. Because your situational calling really doesn't matter very much, you don't have to change it. But also because if your situational calling doesn't matter very much, you can change it, if that's helpful. So if, you, if a slave can attain their freedom, can obtain their freedom, that's okay, they can do that because their situational calling doesn't really matter. And if they do become a free citizen, then that is their new situational calling from God. But we need to work out why your situational calling doesn't really matter. Here's a chance for you to have a chat with the person next to you. There's the question. Why do you think your situational calling does not matter very much? You've got 30 seconds with the person next to you. Enjoy. Okay, let's have a look at what the Bible says. I'm interested in your thoughts, but um, I won't collect them just yet. Let's have a look at what uh, the Bible says. Why does your situational calling not really matter? I think verse 22 gives a very strong hint at the answer. Verse 22, For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's person, freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. Can you see what the Apostle Paul does there? Your situational calling doesn't really matter because the personal call of the gospel to belong to Jesus is the thing that now truly shapes your life. Are you a slave in your present life situation? That does not define you because in Christ you are completely free. And if your situation is to be a free person in society... The personal call of the gospel to belong to Jesus has transformed your life so that you are willingly and happily a slave to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The personal call of the gospel transforms your life, can reverse your life situation completely. Paul's argument, have you noticed it? He keeps making the same point. Your situational calling doesn't matter very much. 
but the special call of the gospel that shapes everything. And then we get this little mysterious verse 23. Have a look at verse 23. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. What? Didn't he just say it doesn't matter? Now he says don't be a slave. Oh, this is tricky. What's going on here? Paul can't be forbidding a literal situation of human slavery. He's just said that it doesn't matter even if you are a slave in your life situation because you are truly free in Christ. I think the logic of the passage helps us here. The logic of the passage keeps reinforcing the same point. Other human beings might have paid good money to buy you as their slave, but they are not the one who truly owns you. Your life is owned by the Lord Jesus who paid dearly at the cross to call you into his service. When Paul says, do not become slaves of human beings, I think he is basically saying, even if your life situation is slavery, it is not the thing that defines who you truly are because the personal, effectual call of the gospel, that is now your true identity. The call of the gospel trumps your situational calling every day. And the lordship of Jesus over your life takes priority over every human master. You have a more important master to serve. Verse 24 sums up the final word on the situational calling. Verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. You don't need to change your situation. You don't need to try and find your situation. Your situation is perfectly fine as it is, even if you're a slave to another human. The personal call of Christ upon your life now shapes everything. This is such a helpful passage for understanding situational calling. And I think you'll agree that the message could not be clearer. Your life situation is really just the unimportant details, the unimportant background for your truly important calling, which is the special call of the gospel to belong to Jesus and to serve him. So may I ask you an awkward question? Why have Christians become fixated on situational calling, which is hardly ever mentioned in the Bible, and the only time it is, we are basically very clearly commanded to not fixate on it. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? We're up to point three. Why do we struggle with this? Why do we struggle with this? Why has nearly every Christian pastor on the internet put out a blog about how to find your situational calling? When the Bible says, don't even bother trying. Why do you think we struggle in this area when the biblical evidence seems quite clear? Last chance to have a chat to the person next to you. There's the question. Why do you think we struggle in this area when the biblical evidence is so clear? Okay, let's, uh, let's try and work this one out together. All right, let's think together. Here are some possibilities. I wonder if you brought up these kind of possibilities. Is it Western individualism? 
Is it because my situational calling speaks of unique situational details that belong to me alone? I have been individually called to live in Kensington. Is that why we fall in love with situational calling when we really should be blown away by the intimacy of our personal call to belong to Jesus, the King of all the earth? Is it because it's a bit ho-hum that every Christian actually gets the same beautiful personal call of the gospel to belong to Jesus? To quote from one of the more profound movies of our time, this movie, is it... Oh, this movie? <laughs> is it that if everyone is special, then no one is special? If all Christians get the same personal call, perhaps it doesn't feel quite as special. Whereas Kensington versus somewhere else perversely seems to be a level up in intimacy. But it can't just be Western individualism because you know this problem exists as strongly amongst our Asian Christian brothers and sisters from an Eastern communal worldview. And that tells us, sadly, that it is more profoundly universal. It is just our human self-centred sin. We just naturally like to focus on ourselves. And we get more excited about things that specifically relate to our own personal situation. But you know, even our egocentrism isn't the only cause of this problem. I wonder whether our problem here is also caused by the challenge of living by faith rather than by sight. Remember faith and sight? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 6 and 7 on the screen. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, we are always confident... And know that as long as we're at home in the body, here, we are away from the Lord, who's there. We live by faith, not by sight. And you know what? Living by faith is a lot harder than living by sight. You see, um, everything about the most important personal call of the gospel, I can only experience by faith by trusting in the word of God that assures me of these important truths. But you know what? I can see my situational calling. It is tangible, solid, earthly. It's a Kensington address. It's a wedding ring on my finger. It's a business card with my status embossed upon it, maybe in gold. My situational calling gives me realities that I can see with my eyes and touch with my fingers. Is it just easier to live by sight than by faith? And if I may push even a little further, is the problem of careerism hiding in here as well that so easily consumes our lives, even as Christians? Have we somehow made our jobs so important as a defining feature of our lives that we need to somehow theologically justify our choices in this area? And finally, I've got a left-field possibility for you. Is it possible that we might actually be scared of the freedom that comes with a true biblical view of situational calling? Is the freedom of a biblical situational calling so broad and so undefined 
that we would prefer to narrow it down and be constrained in this area by at least something, even if that is something that is subjective, situational guidance that we have invented for ourselves. Perhaps situational freedom is scary because it pushes us to have to make wise, godly decisions about our lives without a clear roadmap. Is the very freedom that Christ blesses us with in our life situations the reason that we long for more certainty and in the end perhaps even invent more certainty and put God's name to it and call it calling? Whatever the cause of this problem, I think we can all agree that we have a problem. Christians all over the world are shaping their lives on teaching in this area that is not biblical. And it's coming from some of the most influential Christian teachers in the world. So how are you going to respond? We're at point four. Our last point today, I think we're at point four. It says point three in my notes, but I'm, I'm sure we're at point four. Which call will shape your life? Have you underappreciated the truly important call from God? Have you been distracted by worldly ideas of calling and moved your attention from the truly important heavenly calling, the personal call of the gospel? We need to let the Bible drive us to good theology on this one, don't we? If the Bible has spoken so comprehensively about the personal call to belong to Jesus, then we need to let the Bible teach us that that's the call that really matters. Our lives are not primarily about our jobs or our suburbs. Our lives are about serving Jesus and living in holiness with him. We need the Bible to keep reminding us of that and telling us what is truly important because in our sin, we keep getting distracted by our own self-centred desires that so easily capture, capture our attention. So which call will you shape your life around? Which call is going to set the priorities in your life? Which call will shape your identity? Thinking experiment for just a moment. If we ordered our lives by the weighting that the Bible gives to these three different callings, what do you think that would actually look like in your life? It would make church and ministry a pretty big priority in your life, wouldn't it? It would perhaps make your personal prayer time and, and Bible reading the most important part of your day, wouldn't it? It might make the, the Sunday school class or the Bible study group that you lead perhaps more of a priority than the job where you spend 50 to 60 hours a week. I know that's a little bit uncomfortable. Over the past couple of years, I've been encouraging our campus Bible study graduates to think in terms of first job and second job. Let me explain what I mean. If you are a follower of Jesus, your first job is to live for Jesus and to serve him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I don't think you're going to disagree with me on that one. If you're a follower of Jesus, your first job 
is to live for Jesus and to serve him. But that means that any other employment that you take on is actually your second job. Now, you will probably need a second job to pay the bills. So you might have a side hustle in, say, medicine. <laughs> or law, engineering, or education. And we could go through every career there is, couldn't we here? It's probably a full-time job, but it is your second job if you're a follower of Jesus. Can you see how it's actually quite helpful to think about your employment as your second job? It keeps the priority of your life on your service of Jesus. And yes, I know you will probably have to spend the majority of your waking hours in your second job. And you may only get, a, get to spend a few hours a week in your first job of serving Jesus. But priority is not determined purely by hours given. The other, the other really helpful thing about the language of first job, second job, is that it puts careerism in its place. The rest of the world may live for their jobs, but Jesus saved you for much more than that. But this first job, second job logic does push us to the next step, the next conclusion. Some of us will need to sacrifice our second job in order to spend all of our time serving in that first job. Because churches need ministers and the world needs missionaries. There are 400 of us here. Who are the ones who need to give up their second job? Or perhaps the harder question, who will let their children sacrifice that second job? in order to serve the Lord full-time. How should we decide which of the 400 of us should sacrifice the second job? How are we going to decide that in order to serve the Lord with all our time in that first job? Please, let's not do it by crazy, vague notions of feeling called. Yeah? It is much better... And they did it up here just before. They did it beautifully. It is much better to ask how God has gifted us for that first job type of service. If God has given you the gifts to teach his word well, the world needs you to teach the Bible. The world is crying out for people who can teach the Bible well. If that's you you might need to consider giving up your second job in order to train to serve the world as a full-time Bible teacher. If your gifts are better suited to supporting ministry and, and working your second job, please keep working your second job, but still maximise your first job service throughout your week whenever you can. I had a great conversation just this morning with someone who works four days a week. I know, I know we can't all do it, but how good is it when you can work four days a week instead of five and you can maximise a bit more first job in your life? Whatever we do, please, let's not squabble about who is more important. Yeah? There are no second-class Christians when we all share the same first job. 
We need each other. We're all united in Christ and we share the mission of proclaiming Jesus to the world. Let's try to live out the priorities we've learned today by working together as teammates for God's glory because he has united us all in Christ and given us all the privilege of serving him in his big mission of proclaiming Jesus to all nations. And you have an important part to play in that mission. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for this Bible passage that really pushes us to think again about situational calling. Our Father, we ask your forgiveness that we so often focus on ourselves and the individual aspects of our lives that we seem to think are so important. And we neglect the truly important calling, being called to belong to Jesus and to serve him. Father, we pray that you will help us to have a biblical view of calling. And we pray that that biblical view of calling will shape our lives so that our lives might demonstrate the calling priority of the gospel. Father, this is pretty confronting and challenging. So please help us today as we come to grips with this. Help us to be chatting to each other and encouraging each other. Help us to work together as a team. To, to think with each other about how we as a team might take our place in your great gospel mission of Jesus to the world. Father, please use us to bring great glory to Jesus as he deserves. Amen.